Wamenjika and welcome to M Pavilion, um, an initiative of the Naomi Milgram Foundation. My name is Natalie King, Creative Associate at M Pavilion. We acknowledge the Bunwarang as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet, and we pay our respects to their ancestors and elders, past, present, and into the future, and extend that welcome to other Aboriginal people present here this evening. Thank you so much for joining us on a sultry, summery evening as we gather under Amanda Levette's uh, undulating canopy. Tonight, we have a very special international guest joining us. Stephanie Rosenthal is the Artistic Director of the 20th Biennale of Sydney. This event is co-hosted and co-presented with Monash University Museum of Art, and we're delighted to, to continue our ongoing alliance with Monash. I'd like to now introduce my colleague, Charlotte Day, Director of Monash University Museum of Art, Curator Extraordinaire, who will set the scene and formally introduce Stephanie Rosenthal. Thanks, Natalie. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for coming. And welcome, Stephanie. Um, so, Mama, in association with the Biennale of Sydney and M Pavilion, are very pleased to present tonight's lecture. This is, as Natalie mentioned, part of our Boiler Room series, where we're really dedicated to getting the best curators, artists, thinkers to come and speak in Melbourne with us. So, thank you, Stephanie, very much. Uh, tonight, Stephanie's going to introduce her vision for the Biennale to us. Um, this is an exciting opportunity, like there's enough time where there's still a little bit open, but obviously she's got a certain amount of way. We know there's at least 71 artists that are confirmed. Um, so it's an opportunity for us to get a sense of how she's developed the exhibition and where it's heading. Uh, it's been inspired by a quote from science fiction author William Gibson, the future is already here, it's just not evenly distributed, which I actually had to think about for a little while to get. I like science fiction, I like Gibson. Um, I think we'll talk about that a bit later, but it's actually very, had some really nice nuances to it, it has some really nice inflections that um, made me very optimistic about this exhibition. Uh, the exhibition will be held across seven venues, and I think it's also interesting that these have been themed and named in a sense and also that Stephanie's worked with um, a number of cultural attaches. So, I mean, it's really a good opportunity for us to be able to talk with her about these kind of structural setups and how they then inform the development of a Biennale. But firstly, a bit about Stephanie. She holds a PhD in art history from the University of Cologne and an MA from the Ludwig Maximilian University, Munich. She's held the position of Chief Curator at the Hayward Gallery, London, since 2007. A key focus of her curatorial practice is the exploration of the relationship between visual arts and performance, and you can see that play through a number of her previous exhibitions, as well as her design for the Biennale. Notable exhibitions that Rosenthal has curated at the Hayward include Mirror City um, last year, Pipilotti Wrist, Eyeball Massage, which actually predated an exhibition that we later did at ACCA the following year, Art of Change, New Directions from China in 2012, and Move, Choreographing You in 2010, Walking My Mind 2009, and Robin Road, Who Saw Who in 2009. Previously in the position of Curator for Modern and Contemporary Art, Haus de Kunst Munich, Rosenthal delivered a series of really significant exhibitions, including one, Alan Capro, Artist's Life, which 
I think it's an important exhibition in yeah. your own yeah. development. Anut Mick, um, Dispersions in 2004. Abigail O'Brien's The Seven Sacraments, 2003. Um, Narrative Structures in Contemporary Art in 2002. And Paul McCarthy, La La Land, Parody Paradise, which toured to the Whitechapel in 2005. More recently, she was one of three curators coordinating Imperfect Idler or When Things Disappear, another nice title. Um, the national selection of the inaugural International Biennial of Contemporary Art of Cartagena. Cartagena. De, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. um, Presented in Colombia from February to April in 2014. So I think you're going to do a presentation about 30 to 40 minutes with one screen. Um, and then we're going to have a conversation and then also seek you know, questions from you guys. So please join me in welcoming Stephanie. Thank you very much, and it's uh, an honor to talk in this wonderful pavilion with this great weather. So uh, I kind of feel I should stay in Melbourne a bit longer and enjoy um, the city. So I'll, I'll have a very big PowerPoint, actually, because I always like to show lots of images. Um, so if I run through it, it doesn't mean I'm running out of time or I'm getting bored. It's kind of meant to just show and stop at a certain uh, at certain slides. Um, and as you mentioned, we are actually pretty far, far down the line. That's as good. you know, you Christmas and summer comes here, and then by the time everybody comes back, we have to start installing. So I, I kind of know what we're doing. There's still a few things open. Um, so yeah, to pick up the title again, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, I had an interview the other day, and um, the lady was saying, why you curators always use these enigmatic quotes? And I was like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have used the quote because I, I, I kind of knew what she meant. Um, why do we curators always use a quote? And for me, it, it, it's a very difficult thing to find a title for mm. an exhibition, which especially as a Biennale has so many different angles and one wants to do so much and being aware at the same time that one can't show everything and this kind of pressure of, making that statement for a certain year and so and for me this quote was really um something which i had found during the mirror city exhibition in london and i always thought that it inspired me and somehow um was very much talking about what i was interested at the very moment and so this the future is already here was a bit like an invitation for myself to really select work which talk about the now. Because for me at the moment, um, I'm interested in my own field because I feel I learn to understand where we are at at the moment. And when I'm, what I mean was that it is a bit really thinking about all the different tools one is using, the iPhone, the iPad, and the way how we are connected with each other, the way how we are connected with the world how the world suddenly expands when I think, because I think I'm that generation now with 43 where when I was like in my 18s, I, I hadn't had, I didn't have a mobile. I didn't have, it was really different. And we, I worked when I started to be a curator, I still worked differently. And for me, the world really changed by being able to have so much access to all my colleagues and the artists all over the world and really knowing what's going on. I mean, the fact that Paris suddenly becomes very close, even mm. if we're so far away. So. For me, it was really about saying that contemporary art at the moment is talking about 
the very moment and not so much going into the future. So this idea of saying the future is already here, but also learning from artists who said I, they feel we have bypassed our idea of future and why they became interested in science fiction again in films from the 80s, because they looked back to it and was like, well, we, we're actually somewhere totally different than Blade Runner shows us. And, and we've kind of much more advanced in certain areas. So uh, I want to do that. And at the same time, it's just not evenly distributed. It's, I wanted to have it on the same level in the same size because obviously that's the discussion with the marketing department right away. Can we do it smaller and can we leave it out sometimes? Because um, again, it was this aspect where I felt it's important to remind that it is this very you know, privileged pr people like me, when I say we all have our phones, we all have our computers, that even in London, I work with artists who don't have that and who tell me they still go in internet shops and kind of to, to check their emails. So even there, it's, it's a small, it's, it's still not everybody. And worldwide, it's not. So I wanted to just kind of make that point, not saying that this is in, in that sense a political biennale where I talk uh, about uh, like inequality or accessibility but, or the access, but kind of just reminding that we, we are in a field which is quite privileged if, if we do these Maybe exhibitions. Maybe it's like the Biennale context is a privileged yeah, context it to is, start because with the, and recognising that. Yeah. And so I kind of wanted to do that. So the, um, so the idea for then going on from that umbrella theme was that I decided to not have one big theme but break um, the Biennale down in what I call embassies of thoughts. And so... For me, that term embassy was a term which uh, I, I wanted to use to talk about the fact that uh, an embassy is a, a place so disconnected and much more abstract than an embassy, a national embassy, but much more a place in a place, a safe place in a place where we can come together to have conversations about certain themes without having the same passport, the same language, the same background. So kind of extending this idea of an embassy into something which is just a place in a place, which might have its own rules, which exists for only a short, short, short time, which is like more like a camp. It's moving um, and, and appears and is, uh, gives everybody the right to be in a place and own a place for a certain amount of time. Do you think you needed to do that to create that space because the kind of spaces that you had access to might not automatically allow you that sovereignty or something? Of I think I more felt I needed it in a conceptual way to say that I feel we should have places everywhere where everybody is allowed to be and to talk about what we want to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't even at that point so much about specific Specifics, venues. Yeah. It was really more about saying, I want to have these places where like a, nearly like a, you know, a dream I put out and say, well, this is what I think should be the case. Mm -hmm. And, and um, that there's no one who says you're allowed or not allowed. You just kind of put, come together because you want to discuss something and then you'll have a space to do so. So um, these different themes, and I'll just walk through these themes now, um, probably just briefly. Um, these themes are themes which developed from my research um, for the Biennale, but also the research I've done in the, the years before um, for my exhibitions at the Hayward. So themes where I felt that I suddenly met artists clusters of artists who were interested in um, thinking about that theme. And so I, um, like the embassy of the real is, is, is probably the closest to the title, the question of how 
has maybe our perception of reality changed? And then the embassy of translation is a lot about um, reinvention, reenactment, how artists deal with um, translating historical facts into a, a language which is appropriate for the 21st century. Um, so that just as a few examples, because I'm going to go in it a bit more. I like the non-participation <laughs> yeah. one. Which is like, I, I'll talk about that. I found a little bit like an, a detour <laughs> segway, for that one. Segway, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is just a map which uh, I can't properly see on my computer here, um, which shows that I wanted to create that pathway through Sydney and how I approached uh, the Biennale and my desire to, as you were already pointing out, using other venues. Mm. And that's, again, a very personal desire because I, I work for a very large institution, the Hayward Gallery, we're part of the South Bank Center and I have to deal with a lot of administration and bureaucracy. And uh, which is obviously connected to a large-scale public institution. And um, the joy of doing a Biennale for me was really to access a like a public space and do something which I usually can't do. Get an audience which doesn't have to come to a public institution and is not maybe even interested, but just stumbles over work. And that's always what I so much appreciated about Biennales and why I feel Biennales have such a relevance. Because they just appear in a city and they kind of... Uh, give you another access to it and also so allow you like an incidental to. audience in a sense as well as it's yeah, going one exactly mm. yeah, kind of when you walk go to work or you go to school and you suddenly see a work and you think like oh that's actually i, I actually interested in that and mm. I'll, I'll maybe want to see another one or mm. so that um opening up uh, an area which is not one which is already basically um a common one, but also is asking people to travel in the center of the city. You have to have a certain kind of, I mean, if you if you go into, I mean, it, and I think in Sydney, it's similar to London. If people go to the Hayward, you have to have a certain kind of uh, the possibility to pay the trend. I mean, you have to go there and, and it's not yeah. just the kind of um, something everybody could do. Mm. And so I feel uh, Biennales have a possibility, especially the Sydney one who's free to get you know basically meet people who, who yeah stumble over it mm -hmm. so you see the trail a bit and um i was starting off with saying i don't want to use uh, all the existing venues and you see i ended up with having lots of the existing venues because i also learned that the history of the sydney biennale is working with the public institutions and that's also strengths of it so i had to revise my initial um a approach and learn that that is really um the only way to do the biennale in the way uh, it's done because we need the support from these institutions otherwise it wouldn't be possible but you'll see i extended a lot in 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 the areas around carriage works and have a lot of separate venues here like Mortree Station, the Campertown Cemetery, uh, different kind of smaller lots of land and some uh, former galleries which uh, we're using for these three months to show work. So it is really, uh, especially in the area around Chippendale, Redfern, um, it's, it's much more expanded and, and kind of single works, which then are also not related to an embassy, but kind of just really engage site-specific with the venue. So the Embassy of the Real, as I mentioned, is, is closely connected to um, the title. It's Cockatoo Island. And um, I know that 
probably everybody here has been there and knows the site. And for someone like me who's only been there twice before, um, I arrived there for the first time and didn't like the venue at all. Like I was like, this is this feels just not it's quite a hard space to. And work it just with, really, there yeah. was something which I couldn't quite grasp, and I felt it's not. Um, I just, I just didn't feel like doing a show there. I, I, I saw that's not. So, so you saw it at the previous Biennale, and I said, and one, yeah, or something, yeah. And so, uh, the more I went, the more I thought, oh, it's actually really interesting because there is something very disturbing. Obviously, there's something disturbing because it's the history, on the kind of, um, on on the mountain, the, the convict. But also, I, I realized that there's a lot of fake on the island and that this this whole kind of film sets which weren't signposted when I went there first was like I, I just didn't realize so for example the wall you see here is not a it's not really a brick wall it's a wall which is left over from a film set and so there were all these things where I suddenly realized you lean against and you feel like there's something that's not quite right that's a wooden wall with a wallpaper there are buildings when I talked to the ranger where I was like oh so this is then 19th century they're like no no that's just from the Angelina really? Jolie film and so it kind of got totally, and I didn't know that. And I think that mm. that's something I just realized that there's there's these elements where I always felt I don't quite understand how that goes together. But there wasn't. Now they started to put up signs. Yeah. Um, but at that time they were just. And when I then said, "Oh, this is a new building," then they were like, "No, we just painted that one in a different color." And I was just like, "God, this is a really interesting approach to a to a kind of historic site." So anyway, but. I, I just have got uh, other things going on there, haven't they? Because they do school camps and other group activities and things throughout yeah. the rest of the year, don't they? So they're kind it of is a real priming it for other uses. Event site well. by now. When the Biennale used it for the first time, what you probably know better than me, it was like a real revelation, it amazing, I think. Yeah. It, it, it must have been just such a new. And I feel that I don't feel that anymore. Mm. I, I think it does feel like a site which is used for all different purposes, but it's nevertheless an amazing site. And every artist who came to visit was extremely excited about doing a work there. And for me, that's always the most important. And obviously, it's a site where you you can engage with a with a history, but you also can just engage with the buildings, with the massive spaces. And we can do works and realize works which you couldn't do anywhere else. So I think the big part of it too. Is the journey there, like across the water? Mm. You know that gives you, it gets you in a different headspace by the time you've got there, which I think is a nice exactly, way yeah. to then interact with art. And also that I learned for just how people navigate or who goes to the island. That again, that's actually um, again a venue where I can achieve what I want to achieve. That there is a different audience because there are a lot of people who just come to see the island and then stumble over the work. And it's not just that dedicated. And that was one of the reasons why I then said it would be really exciting to to use it and also have that embassy of the real there, which is exactly talking about these fictional realities, the question of you know how how our lives are um, defined by social media, but also by film, and where's the slippage, and, and how important is that we kind of realize that slippage and how can we just accept that 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 our reality has maybe these different aspects so um i invited lee bull to do um the main uh installation in the turbine hall um and she's going to do a new uh, work which uh again deals with these different aspects of um 
the combination of human body and architecture and how the body can be perceived as a space and also how technology and, and the human body go together, mm. which, which for me seemed to be a kind of really key aspect for, uh, for that venue. But it has, it has both sides. It has the um, very technology, like the, the, the one, the artists who work with technology, the, the typical kind of what we call post-digital or post-internet generation with Cecily B. Evans or Kimi and Rowe, but also artists like uh, Foresight or kind of people who work where it is more about the physical body. Um, a work uh, which I'm really looking forward is, is a piece by Justine Williams. Um, we invited her to do a recreation of Victory Over the Sun from 1913, which is um, a futurist opera, and uh, Kazimir Malevich did the costume design and the set design. And um, my argument was always that his black square comes out of that opera. And for me, Malevich and, and the black square is a really important um, anchor point, not only for that show, but the kind of idea of traveling through how he says, I traveled through the zero and I came out transformed. So traveling through that black and changing himself, but also the whole way he worked. And, and nearly using that black square as a mirror, as a self-portrait, was for me always that, that combination of also thinking what, what is our mirror nowadays when there's this English television series, Black, um, black Mirror, where it is about our, you know, the, the, the constant uh, black screens we're looking in and we're seeing ourselves, but we're also looking in that kind of endless space. And so for me, that is that combination and the question of how Malevich, in a way, what he wanted and what was his ambition with, with um, the black square is actually still something we're trying to achieve. So um, Justine Williams will do um, that work together with the Sydney Chamber Opera House, or Ch Sydney Chamber Opera. So we have a composer and um, they do with her the choreography and, and, and Justine will do the films and the... And the so it uh, would have been a big influence on her, that history of that kind of theatre yeah. as well, isn't it? So she'd be very excited about it. And it's, it's just also, I mean, that's, I think, now the process where we're slowly ending. It's also Justine looking at um, this Fudor's opera, which is so much about the kind of male presence, and it, it's a lot about machine and, and how um, the man a, a, a dominant in language was also in the content and how she flips it then and, and puts a totally different uh, turn onto it will be will be very interesting but it is a it's it's quite a and will that be performed on occasion or is it um recorded and it's represented? So it will be performed at the beginning but because we're doing it together um with the sydney chamber opera it, we can only do it for yeah. like four times unfortunately mm. Um, and then there'll be other artists, installation, film and, and um, physical installations like Korakrit, Arun Chai, who's a Thai artist based in um, New York, who uh, works a lot with a, a kind of advertisement marketing aesthetic, but at the same time draws from his own history in Thailand and kind of the spirituality there. So the film, he going to... Uh, work on and show like a, it's a trilogy that the third um, part of it is uh, him as a as a denim painter uh, talking to the spirits about how to achieve uh, his tasks of being an artist so it's a, 
quite breathtaking work. And he works a lot with the performance uh, artist Boy Child. And so he's going to invite her into um, his installation. We're having Ming Wong, who uh, shows a work where he investigates um, the history of science fiction in, in China. And then we have what I mentioned, artists like Vati Kea or uh, Will Forsythe, where it's much more about really the physicality, the gravity, our own body. And so the, the venue is a lot about bringing what I call these two different worlds or the overlap um, from the, the world we're living in, the digital, but at the same time, the physical. And for me, that is really um, what I experience is, is our life at the mm. moment, that we kind of brought these two things together. I feel we are beyond that point of anxiety. At least the artists I work with five years ago, seven years ago, when I did move, it was a lot about we need to put the body in, in, in forefront because we're losing it. We are all kind of spending too much time on the internet. We're not meeting in person anymore. And so the artists now, I feel they're not, it's not so much about the anxiety, it's much more how actually these worlds overlap and how we create that presence in a double sense. So we meet as physic in, with, with our bodies, but at the same time we are uh, having that presence online and how these two worlds actually live together. So that's what I want to show in that venue. So there will be a work by four sides with um, 200 pendulums which move automatically and the audience can go in and dance with these um, pendulums which basically talk about our own gravity. Uh, there is the Embassy of Disappearance, Carriage Works. Um, and so it's always linked with the venue. And, and somehow that just happened in a natural way. That, that the themes I wanted to deal with, I um, kind of found venues in, in Sydney where I felt it's really um, the ideal place. And so Carriage Works being um, based in what I call Redfern, even if it's actually, uh, it's, it's another, I think it's Enmore or... Everly. Everly, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, it's usually you, you know. Um, oh, so for me, it's it's uh, it's not quite correct if I say it's Redfern. But um, so the, the an area which is hugely gentrified now, which has been the history, and for me, I think especially as a foreigner, the history of um, Aboriginal artists and people, the uprisings Activism there. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that was a, a point where I felt it's interesting to be, and so this embassy of disappearance talks a lot. And the works in that venue talk a lot about disappearing landscapes, cultures, how artists deal with memory, how we rewrite memory, how memory is defined by certain kind of people because it was written down from by certain kind of people, like the, the, the loss of certain currencies and what that means, like for example in Zimbabwe. So it is that, and I feel I actually could have done probably a whole biennale about that theme because a lot of artists I felt were really engaged with that uh, subject matter. And how I worked, it was mainly that I've kind of established the, the embassies around artists I had met, but then there were always like the, the ones I really wanted to have in the Biennale and hadn't really placed them in a certain uh, venue. And most of them said, I feel related to that uh, theme of disappearance. And that's what I'm working around, like the absence uh, of things. So I'll have a piece which is actually in a piece which was um, initially at um, Brisbane, um, Wing Wing Way. Yeah. yeah. So that's also a bit selfish because I've never seen it. I mean, I've seen it always not. It was always already an abstract work. I've never seen 
Ming Wei sweeping and kind of changing that history which that painting talks about. So that's the work we're, we're, we're showing. We're showing Gerald Manchona, who's a South African artist who works with the um, Zimbabwe currency and kind of developed a totally new fictional work out of it. Ming Wong, uh, Mino Glim, who works with the Portable Keeper since 2009 and is doing a new um, work for us where she will work with um, film equipment, which is in a way um, for her, takes that role of a Portable Keeper. So that question how a camera is actually related to certain shoots and certain images and the question how a camera the person who's running the camera and the camera actually connected and, and kind of have a common memory. A picture upon Vera Setakul, um, who does a new film work uh, for that venue, which will be a lot about fire and, and um, Plato's cave and how um, like things might disappear in the shade. So that's something he's still working on and I actually don't know as much as I'd so like to quite, know about. Quite a lot of works are new commissions yeah. where you've worked together with the artist and they've responded to the brief, in a, yeah. a brief in a sense. But it yeah. is a lot, I think, also that I didn't even, I, I remember, you know, when you read about Biennales, it's always like artists from 48 countries, 60%, mm. 80% new commissions. I always forgot this is like, is, is that really necessary? But I think it's, so we have a high percentage of new commissions, but that came not that came a lot from the artists. I think they just wanted to do new work. For me, in the in the venues, it wasn't so necessary. I mean, obviously, I like to allow and produce new works because I think that's a, uh, also something which Generative is... Generative, yeah. And it's an obligation maybe from a Biennale to allow that. Mm. Um, but it's a lot that the artists just wanted to show new work. Uh, and then for me, it was very important that for the site-specific works in the city, that that's new commissions, obviously, because they really have to respond uh, to the specific site. And I felt that's important that they, uh, you know, know the people around it and kind of engage with that. You're required to work to a certain scale, in a sense. Like, I mean, have you got, is there about 75 artists at the moment? Yeah. Is that... Are you thinking it's going to become more than that? or We still, so what you mentioned at the beginning, I have a huge interest in performance and dance, and that is a very difficult, it's still, if people ask me what's the most difficult to curate, then I still think it is that, because it's very expensive, mm. and it's, it's still difficult, I think, to create the right conditions, um, especially for dancers, to have like changing rooms, the right floor, um, the lighting, and so I'm still I'm still trying to push off a few of the of the Those, dance events yeah. because they're they're very expensive and it's it's harder to you know get people behind them because it's less obvious why you know it's they're so expensive. Yeah, it's not context, like a big installation yeah. you have there for for whatever month. So I, mm. that's still something we're working on. So we okay. Will. So otherwise, though, it probably is actually less artists, but maybe. Um, larger or more substantial projects, isn't it? Than so initially, some recent I ones. Yeah. So initially, I said I want to have only fifty-five artists, mm -hmm. and I want to have uh, groups of works because for me, it's still even when I go and I feel like I mean I should really be able to digest it. I, for me, it's such a joy to be in a space and see several works and to get. A bit of a deeper idea of how the the process of an artist or how how someone works. So I really wanted that, but I knew that. I mean, it's I know every curator. I mean, I think if you end up with a hundred, yeah. it's not that you want a hundred. It's that suddenly you feel 
this is such an amazing work too and I maybe added to this is kind of it's it's and it's the same you do it with I mean I think it's so difficult to remind uh, myself that more is not better and it's very so if you go to cockatoo you when I started with cockatoo I was like I only use very precise areas and now it's suddenly like there is another work I really like and then someone is saying oh but this space is really good and then I think it's so difficult then to say no Temptation. yeah it's so it's it's just that that you it's like more it's you want to have more friends in 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 it in a way mm. instead of saying well for the audience it doesn't help you know it's just the works you really like you feel like oh i've grown close to this it. work yeah. so i really want to have it in but then yeah so it's very difficult so i i think um i, I i'm kind of okay but not as good as i'd like to be in being rigid and and cutting it um you know just being saying well there'd be another opportunity to show this work um, uh, maybe so. Nea Shoxi um, is an Indian artist who works a lot around absence, and um, she wanted to do a new work, which I think will be quite um, amazing. It's a large um, wall, which is 17 meter wide and seven meters high, and she will wallpaper different sunsets um, from different parts of the world. And over the run of the exhibition, um, the the wallpaper gets peeled off. And so at the end, you see all the different sunsets uh, together. Embassy of Spirits is the art gallery of New South Wales. And the center of um, the art gallery will be um, Taro Shinoda, an artist who's based in, in Tokyo. And as you have realized, all these images are just stand-in images. Um, so he does a work. He went to Yakala. Uh, wanted to do research around star systems and so wanted to do a work which kind of looks at his the stars and the star system in his own kind of in relation to Japan but I think also how he kind of did his own system somehow and he wanted to learn what's the importance of stars and he came back and I remember that he, he always said, "Look, I don't know if I'm really going to do that." And I think that's the process mm -hmm. with artists. Yeah. You don't you don't hold them then and say, "But you wanted to do something about stars." I remember he came back and said, "Why do you give me the big room in the art gallery?" <laughs> I was like, "This is." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Okay." No, no, I was more like, "Okay." He didn't. He doesn't know what to do because otherwise he would like to. I was like, "Well, you don't have to. You can have a smaller one." But I thought it would be really interesting um, to have something in the Embassy of Spirits in the center of the Embassy of Spirits, which deals with the garden and the, the and because he comes out of a tradition and actually studied garden design does a lot with zen gardens i felt it would be interesting to have something and so the next was that he said well he then and then i hadn't heard for a while and then i got back to him he sent that proposal or basically a model which was beautiful just showed a wall with clay on it which had cracked and i've and, and red behind and so he wrote me this email, which was really hard to understand about that. Also because he had translated it into English that he was so confused. He was in a state of total confusion about his visit. And he wants to do a space which allows for that confusion to basically to live. Like a, so I sort of, so I called him, I was like, is it like a room for meditation or what? So he really couldn't quite put it. He was just like, he doesn't know. And he realized when you travel and to le you learn about other mm. cultures, it's just sometimes that you don't know and you don't want to do something out of it and you don't want to know. So 
he decided to use okra, red okra, to cover the whole, like the double space in the art gallery, and then um, put a layer of clay over it and just wait until the clay breaks and falls down. And so it will be a huge platform, like quite, not a huge, but a platform with tatami mats, mats where people can sit on and just watch the process, which so of you course, I don't know what's going to happen, really. Exactly, and I really, I got this email from uh, the art gallery saying, "We're just wondering, what do we do if it doesn't work?" And I was like, "Well, there is no, it doesn't work. It's just like it just falls off at some point somehow." But he does like meticulous testing, so there are like 15 emails every day between the art gallery and him about a failure of another form of clay. So it's very, but it will be a beautiful, beautiful work. He's not nervous about not working, so I'm not. Um, Mela Jarlsma, who's an Indonesian artist originally from the Netherlands, who works a lot with performances, costumes, um, is interested in animism, and she will do a new work um, to kind of research through performance, but also fashion, the relationship between the dog and the human being. So she invites performers to wear her dog costumes. and. Um, do formations which are related to Indonesian textiles, eye cuts. So it will be a kind of combination between works from the collection of the art gallery and her own performances and um, like costumes and, and fashion the way you see it here. Ken Tadai, who's a um, artist from the Torres Strait Islander um, who does dance machines and that was something I was um, very much interested in from the beginning on so he will do a new work and he probably will do a work um, which he develops with um, Jason Christopher who comes more from the like film world, animation world and they're working together of kind of maybe animating one of these dance machines So are they participatory? Can you do you put as a viewer? Do you act in that uh, machine? You yeah, or you? They just move. Yeah, they kind yeah. of you move. So basically, thing. they replace. They want to replace the dancers, mm, and so the, the 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 sculptures move by themselves. Jumana Mana, who's showing a, a film which deals with the rituals of, of 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 music, and she shot it in in Jerusalem. So she's bringing different cultures um, together. Dane Mitchell, who um, will do a work in relation to homeopathy which he started a few years ago and and i was interested in in that because i think it's an interesting way to think about belief structures so the embassy of spirits is a lot about belief stru structures we're establishing by ourselves but also we might be forced into and what these structures actually do and in which way they're used as as kind of a, a tool of power and so i think homeopathy is just a kind of a bit of a off but also talks about the from his perspective, you you have to believe in it to, to make it work. Johanna Kalle, who's a Colombian artist who works a lot with uh, language, and she did research in indigenous uh, in the indigenous languages um, in relation to the word rain, and um, kind of did 99 drawings to kind of capture the 99 words for it. Embassy of Translation. I've talked a bit about, I think, the fact that uh, it is about reinvention, recreating, and, and re-looking at historic materials. So the, the, the reinvention or the re-looking at Victory of the Sun, in a way, connects the Embassy of the Real and the Embassy of Translation together. So um, we were hoping, actually, until yesterday to get the original material from Malevich, from uh, Russia, 
but we couldn't because of it. It's just the uh, agreements about the. Uh, well, it's a legal thing, and Russia is not allowing to show the Biennale because we're not an institution in that sense. Um, so one work uh, is is a work, a film by Sharia Nashad, which. Um, was done together with Adam Linder, uh, choreographer, and they went back to Jean Cocteau's um, ballet from 1913 parade. And that's one example where artists are just kind of interested in the fact that Cocteau, in a way, did um, something which we're trying now to, to kind of promote our own bodies, but also promote performance and kind of bring people into um, that medium. And, and Adam and Charia felt that that's actually, a, a, it was actually a, a, a ballet, a marketing ballet. And, and so they brought it back and, and, and re-looked at it and brought it in a totally different form. Um, then Noah Ashkol, an artist who um, is based in Tel Aviv, choreographer. Um, I was always quite interested in her because she did a very interesting notation, similar to Rudolf Laban, very rigid and, 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 and very conceptual. And at the same time, she did, she started um, in, the, in the late 70s to do these wall carpets as a sign of resistance in a way. When her main dancer went, had to go to war, she decided to not choreograph anymore, but do these wall carpets and kind of translate her thoughts into that. And uh, she kept doing it and, and reading about her, her work, and she died three, four years ago. She was always saying that the carpets are exactly what she didn't do in her dance or not notations, because the dance is extremely rigid and, and rational, and and these carpets are, are really in a different in a different world, but kind of transform a lot of her thinking in in that kind of much more emotional, uh, intuitive way. Dainita Singh, um, Indian photographer who. Uh, thinks a lot about what a museum, how a book can be a museum. And so she does these little books, kitchen museum, she calls them, which you can unfold and basically carry around with you and have your museum with you. Mm. Helen Martin, who some of you might know, a really interesting, I think, challenging artist uh, based in London, who does sculptural works, film, and two-dimensional works, a writer by herself, and uh, very close to language and interested in how in a way, she can transform her words into that that three-dimensional um, form. Very complex works, um, which in a way unfold the human body. I feel they're very, very much about the death, but she wouldn't actually. I think she's not so much thinking about it in that way. But you, you'll you'll see it when you come to Sydney. The Embassy of Non-Participation, as you said, I um, was very interested in doing something about resistance and how, you know, in which way can artists resist and, and how do you do that in your work and the peaceful resistance. And I just couldn't get my head around about doing an embassy of resistance. I just felt that's, like, whoever I put in there, I think I'll put on the huge pressure, that kind of, you know, you, your work is the, the one who's has to has to hold that kind of mark. And so I started to work together with a collective in London who, the Museum of Non-Participation, and they think a lot about, I mean, they're activists by themselves, and they have that Museum of Non-Participation to talk about how non-participation is, is an active act and, 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 and an act of resistance. So I decided to invite them to be in that embassy and work with me on that embassy. So will they be based there throughout? Um, yeah, they, they're coming in January and then they've they been there, I think, nearly for the whole time. 
and they do a lot of workshops and um, they both work at Karen Mercer and Brett Butler. They both have their own practices, but then they work uh, also together. Mm -hmm. And Karen Mercer does a lot of workshops in relation to feminism. She calls it gossip. And yeah. so she will do some of these uh, during the run of the Biennale. The Embassy of Transition is very close to the Embassy of Spirits. Um, that's one of the venues um, I, I really wanted to have from the beginning on, the, the train station in um, Did you near know Central. about it before you came to Sydney? No, I drove, did by. The I drove by. Yeah, I drove mm. always by and always thought, what kind of weird building right at the street? Mm. And so... I invited um, Cha Wei Chai, an artist from uh, Taiwan who's based in uh, Vietnam, and an artist, Marco Chiandetti, Italian artist who's based in South Africa and, and the UK, to do new works for that venue. And they both work, um, and I didn't ask them to do that, but they actually really both work, it's, it both works about death. And the one is approaching it very much from a Western Christian perspective and the other one much more from a kind of Eastern Buddhist one and and Marco Chiandetti um, will um, do large-scale aviaries this this photo I, each time when I see it I feel like it's so because he will work with minor birds and then we use that image as a stand-in which is so different than minor birds but uh, it will work with Indian minor birds and kind of create these aviary for them and and discuss the, the question of what what is that relation to the Indian minor birds who are holy birds in certain cultures and kind of are a, a classified pest in, in Australia? Mm -hmm. And um, so kind of navigates that, that subject and that um, contradiction in his work. There's an embassy of Stanislav Lem, which obviously uh, links back to, again, the embassy of the real and, and the question of how... Um, Science fiction films have and have been and are, I think, especially at the moment, and, and writing like Gibson are real inspiration for artists. Mm. And Heeman Chong, uh, a Singaporean artist, uh, is the only artist in this embassy. And it actually, it's his embassy because when I met him, I was like, where do you feel you would fit in? He was like, oh, I'd love to do an embassy of, of Stanislav Lem. So I basically handed it over to him. And his idea is to... Um, sell Polish and, and English uh, Stanislav Lem books and do readings and he's also involved in the Bureau of Writing and kind of navigate um, the the question of the different themes in, in Stanislav Lem books but also a lot about the fact how translation is actually changing works because his works are very badly translated and um, Lem has always been quite unhappy about that. So you're using existing translations of them, yeah. So now we're coming to the end. It's, uh, this, these are what I've mentioned before, the in-between spaces. So there are several artists I invited to engage with certain sites or have specific projects. And um, one of the projects is uh, Brown Council. <coughs> they will do work which is um, very much related to their own practice, but also in a way very much related to what I am interested in and what I also wanted to do at the beginning uh, when I started to work on the Biennale and then realized that the Biennale is not the right place to do that and, and to work with an archive. That's something I'll, I'll, I really enjoy doing, to go through existing material, to especially I mean in relation to dance and performance history, to kind of try to make that historic backbone uh, relevant and visible in, in, in the exhibitions I'm doing. And so when I came uh, and started my research here, I realized that there is, there seems to be a real urgency to, to work around 
feminist performances and performances yeah. of women in Australia starting from the 60s and that, that hasn't done enough. And that wasn't that I was like, oh, that hasn't been done enough. As much as like, people were always saying, you know, there's so much great stuff and no one ever looked at it. And so, and because they knew I would be the one picking it up because I would be interested in it. So, um, but then I talked to the MCA about it and the art gallery about it and they were all like, really? want to do it? Oh. I mean, they, they wouldn't say no, but it just the faces were what I thought like, oh, that's maybe not really. Uh, and also, I mean, my capacity of doing it was just not. Anyway, so I, and I asked Brown Council if they would be interested, obviously, with their project of Barbara Cleveland. I don't know if you know um, this project where they've invented a performance artist who uh, was living and working, especially in the 70s. And this artist kind of... Um, appears more and more and it kind so of creates... they've invented her backstory and yeah she um is in different forms in different works and she? different yeah. artists met her so when i was uh, in brisbane um like two years ago mike parr was giving a lecture and he was mentioning barbara cleveland so it goes into that kind of that the history goes really so he was in, in a way picking up from them and of course they were like delighted that he did that and was talking mm. about saying oh Barbara Cleveland was there too and I think this is the work she did um, so and of course that leads to that every, that a lot of people are like who's Barbara Cleveland never heard of her and so um, they continued that thought because I asked them to maybe you know if they could help me to unfold an archive of, of, of performances um, focused on on you know female practitioners and they were saying they're not so interested in kind of focusing on you know now agenda but they would be very interested in doing that and so they said look what about inviting different people um, like Mike Parr to bring their archive and talk about it and, and kind of continue to invent Barbara Cleveland but at the same time allow the visitors to really access the archive mm -hmm. of these people so to have a place so they have their own venue where this the, basically there'll be the idea is really that there is an archive which is accumulating over the run of the Biennale. There'll be a performance uh, Meta Edwardson in the Newtown Library by performers who memorize books and then you can go and, and, and get a book but the book is someone walking with you and telling you and, and basically oh, nice. giving you the book as a, as a, a, in a conversation. Uh, Richard Bell's Embassy um, tent, which obviously makes sense for me uh, to 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 bring in, and he'll be um, in front of the MCA um, for for a while, and I think he'll be quite. Um, he wants to be quite a, a massive presence there, and I remember that when he was there, when he was there, and I have to say because I just it's so often in my head. He was coming to to Sydney, and he knows the MCA well. He's in the um, advisory board there and he turned around to me and was like I think I have to make it bigger <laughs> and then he said I don't want to be a pimple on an ass and I was like okay so it's got away with language got a, yeah exactly so I think that's very much his performative I think that's um, I think a lot of artists would think it but no one would kind of put it that way um, Bo Christian Larsen who will work a Swedish artist uh, who worked who lived for a very long time in, in Germany and um, England, and he will work with the cemetery in Newtown and kind of work there with, with the church, but also the, the graveyard. And will also do a kind of three months long performative piece there. Archie Moore, uh, we're still, so these are the works where we're still kind of trying to secure the sites because obviously 
if we secure sites which are in the city, it's always difficult to do too long ahead because some yeah. sites might turn into something else. Um, and he wants to do a work at the Benelong point. So we're still kind of negotiating actually with the botanical garden. And Keck de Sousa, who will do a new work um, in relation to Redfern and the history of Redfern, because she actually has done that quite a bit in her work. And she was one of the artists who um, were my inspiration to also understand Redfern better, because she's done all these tours and, and, and kind of explored different sites and 10 years ago started to think about the gentrification um, there. I think that's that's um, the end of, of, of the images. That's very good. <laughs> it was probably much longer like than 40 minutes. That's but good. How are we going for time? I think we're pretty good. Um, that's great. I think we've actually got quite a good insight. Um, I'm interested in, like, when you talked about the fact that you had these themes in your mind or in your original proposal and then you had to kind of maybe shape them for certain sites. How much of, I mean, how much is the Biennale a blank canvas to start with? Like, how much did you need to think or think how influential was the history of the Biennale or what's happened there or its context, like its position in Australia within this region? I mean, how much of that was important to the development of your original idea for the Biennale? You know, before you got into the nuts and bolts of actually coming. Um... I, I was wondering that when I was invited to do a concept and I then decided that if you invite someone like me who has ever, like absolutely no relationship to Australia, I've been there once before but not really, then that's not what a Biennale wants. So, no. But I, I was reading it more as the interest of bringing someone like me is because I don't know and because I'm open to learn and because I kind of go and see artists here and take them with me even if I can't show as many as I want to show from Australia I still kind of have a hopefully a career who continues and then I will kind of use that knowledge so I didn't try to suddenly become an expert because I thought mm -hmm. that would be also really um, ridiculous I mean how could I gain a knowledge uh, in two years or less than two years and, and, and could be comparable with someone who's based here. Um, the history of the Biennale, in a way, I think always plays in it because it is the history of how a Biennale is established, what's the, the purpose of the Biennale, and also just be, I feel, m modest in the way to understand why is the Biennale important for a city. And I think that's something I took on board and was not just saying, oh, I'll do what I want to do. and. But but listen. So I think that's yeah, so particularly probably what you're saying in relation to the venues that have or the organisations that have been become important partners in it. Yeah, to just kind of accept that I think the 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 importance of the Sydney Biennale is also, I think, based on the fact that it is a collaboration in a city between different institutions. And what about its more recent history? That you know, particularly the last Biennale with the structure of its foundations being challenged quite directly and there being, you know, a strong response to its structure and criticism of it and it requiring quite a lot of change. Did that, I mean, did that have a direct impact on how you would work with it or what was offered to work with? I think, I mean, obviously the, the fact that the last Biennale was so challenged by the questioning of Transfield 
led to the fact that now there is a is a very clear transparency of who supports and i guess that's i could benefit from that that mm. i it's 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 obviously much easier if, if you have a board and people who agree that that just has to be transparent and has to be communicated i mean there always can be changes in you know how how a company's involved in money. If you think of Volkswagen, I mean, no one would have even known about it. Yeah, So um, it's a German company. So um, I, I think then, of course, you have to act. But that was for me, I mean, I, I just kind of had that, I guess, benefit that that wasn't something I had to negotiate, mm. that that was a given after um, what happened two years before. And that whole idea of, I, I, I feel probably for me, Transfield is less an issue than immigration politic and detention centres. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think part of it, well, from my perspective too, was just the shutting down of the artist's voice through that, that it was not appropriate for artists to have a voice, a political voice, and that um, I suppose that was, I was, I had always thought that that was an important role for an artist, so it was a challenge for that. You know, I didn't realise how people would actually think that that was inappropriate in occasion so yeah and it's amazing because you think yeah. that's what art should do mm. or at least should teach i mean it should do it but also should teach well people it's to like do a it. suitable platform to have that voice in yeah but it, i guess that goes back to that we are quite privileged i mean we are on on you know the, the fact that that visual art or contemporary art is quite a privileged in a privileged field i mm. think therefore people might forget that that's actually the thing which is rooted in society and should do it so do you think, you talked a bit about how probably there's like a politics that infused through the works, but maybe they're not, it's not such an overt statement necessarily, like it's not a, um, literally a very political biennale. No, I'm not. I, I, I'm, and I also feel I could only do that if I would be a real activist. I think that's mm. something where I think Karen Mercer or Brett Butler, for me, they're convincing because they do have that life. They're not pretend, you know, they're not yes. kind of sitting in a safe place. So, and I feel that's not who I am. So for me, it's much more interesting to open up a discussion and, 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 and allowing, you know, the voices and see and, and, and negotiate than making a statement about something very specific. Yeah. It does seem, um, is it quite, it's a more younger genera generation of artists that have been uh, it's, presented? It's, I, I, I guess it's uh, quite, there are younger ones, but there are also a lot of artists who like in the, in the, in the set, like born in the 70s. Um, and then, yeah, I think that there are certainly also some like, it's a good mixture, I feel, but there and is a lot of young... New? Is anyone... They're all new to the Biennale? Are they or not? Was that something you were thinking about? Or? I wasn't really thinking mm -hmm. about, but the team was always very kind of... When I said, oh, I'm interested in that, then I would always be like, this artist was in the fifths, and the <laughs> and I was like, I don't care. Okay. But I would, I would care. I mean, I did, because obviously I thought it wasn't so interesting to bring someone back who was there in Juliana's or, you know, or... Quite I, I recently, kind of tried, yeah. I tried to, to um, avoid that. And I also tried to figure, mm -hmm. I understand from the community who would be interesting for them to bring. I mean, that also I thought that was something I thought it would be a shame if I assumed that would be interesting. And then people said, like, but that's not relevant for us. So I tried mm -hmm. to kind of understand what what kind of artists would be interesting or especially in relation also to the dance scene to understand who do you feel would 
the community would benefit because an important aspect for me was to bring the artists to have them you know in the in the time before present and just allow the artists to work in Australia to engage because I think that's that should be a purpose of the Biennale to just yeah, enrich yeah and not have mm -hmm. that everybody comes for the opening no one sees them and um, it's yeah, not I think quite that interactivity is something that is an exciting part of it and I think that's really We're hoping important. to get a few of the artists yeah. down here. Yeah, exactly, talks, to yeah. kind of just kind of have that more. And it's, all, it's interesting for the artists to just be able to travel and... So how much, um, I suppose, the kind of integrity of your original pro proposal, how much of that remains um, the same and how much has kind of changed as you've been here, was, as the project's developed? I was very... Um, so there were moments where I felt I really have to now just say, look, this is what I always said I want to do and I'm going to do this. But the board is, is quite, I, it's been twice where I felt like, but if we do that, we're totally going away from what I initially wanted and I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like it's mm. not, but I am really someone who's very much, I very much feel I don't want to do something where, um, a lot of people are against it. I don't think that's beneficial for for because I I think art can live and be interesting if the places where you show is are welcoming it. I don't think it's helpful. My experience I've done that when I was younger that I was just like I'll do it and even if no one wants it I still do it. And then it's just in an institution, you know, if you don't have the support of the people who work no. there, it doesn't fly. It's just not. And then I just feel nowadays then it's just not the right place. I don't think it's uh, beneficial for the artists or the project to be somewhere where they are not wanted. And that's the same with the Biennale team. It's, of course, it's my vision, but I have a team and without the team and without the board, I can't do it. So, um, but there are just moments where I said, look, I, I gonna have these in-between spaces. I'm not giving, and you can give me five more venues you wanted to have because they've always been there. I'm not taking any other, it was just like, I always said, look, it just gets more. It's not mm. that I take mine out. And so they, they were like that, mm. which is mainly a financial issue because you have to just. Well, that's always a balancing act, isn't it? Um, has anyone got any questions or comments for Stephanie? I don't want to dominate. It was it was an interest of mine because I felt it's interesting to bring artists from that part of the world to Australia. Not that they haven't been here, but I just feel it's it's places where a lot of interesting work is happening at the moment. So it's where my research is anyway. So I feel it is is it's it's much more relevant now than it's probably been ten years ago. So. Um, I felt that makes sense. And then also, you know, a bit balancing what Juliana has done last time. So I felt it does make, in that sense, I looked back and, and said, well, there were a lot of Northern Europeans. And um, I somehow felt that the questions which are maybe relevant for here and also the, the, the way how artists look at Australia is, is it's, you know, there is a direct connection to Singapore, that kind of there is, or Indonesia, where I felt the the conversations are more direct even if they're not 
precisely about one theme or subject matter, but I felt it has a relevance here. So I, I tried to kind of explore that more and under, also for me to understand the position of Australia to kind of travel to these countries and talk to artists and just kind of understand what's your connection to it. So that's travel you did in the lead up to the Biennale. So in your with your Biennale hat on. Yeah, yeah, and I had, but I had done lots of China. I mean, I have China, Japan is yeah. something I've done, I've done before. But um, I wanted to travel more to Latin America, actually. But that was just at some point, it was just not possible to do it all. But life, yeah. <laughs> Any other questions, comments? So, what were the first, the opening week? Is that a how, how many days should we anticipate to be there, Stephanie? It's still, I don't <laughs> if know. If we're planning know. now. It's still, um, I wish Bob would be here now. It's still a whole week. And I was actually trying to reduce it because I was like, can we just do one opening? And no, we're doing five openings. It's like, uh, it's a whole week. And a lot of those um, kind of performative projects will be that opening week or will they unfold across the they will and so what was important for us is that the, because the opening week is very much for um a specific audience and invited guests because it's you know every opening is for every venue but obviously for us it was important that the performances are for the public and mm. so the the first weekend will be the main weekend for where the performances start so we'll do in the weeks before, the week before a little bit, but then the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, when the first public days, that's where we do a lot yeah. to kind of not have it excluded for a certain group of Just, people. Yeah. And then throughout, are there other intervals too? Or? Yeah, and then, yeah, but not, Juliana did it that there was this kind of middle. She did, yeah. yeah. And we'll just do... We're trying to, there are several performances which are over the three months continuously and then there'll be like in certain weeks there'll be a bit more but there's always something going on. And do you anticipate, um, I mean the journey through the city looks quite intense in mm. a sense, like is it, can you manage, manage it in a couple of days, like have you got different, I mean Juliana had itineraries in her head like about that you'll spend this amount of time here, this will take that yeah, long. Yeah, we do that for the guide. Yeah. I think we yeah. just break it down. I'm a big cyclist. And when mm -hmm. I came to Sydney, I was like, we all do it with the bike. And no, and I'm not talking about this anymore because people were just rolling over me. I was just like, okay, we're not <laughs> I cycling. I like that idea. Uh, this sounds like, a good idea. I, I like, yeah, I was like, everybody was really, there were a few people in the Biennale was like, this is a great idea. And then everybody else was, I don't know, the kind of was so much, if you want to kill the audience, you can do it. And I was like, okay, if there's so much. Anyway, so for me, it was initially really to cycle. So I still mm. hope that people, because it's easy to, it's, it's so the, between Mortree and the cemetery, it's maybe a walk of 45 minutes. So you can see a lot of, that's how I envision is that you would just kind of go, you know, you take the train then or the bus from the Arkali up to Central and then you can basically just walk the rest and then you have Cockatoo and MCA and mm. art space. So it's, it's manageable, but it is um, a lot. And it is, I think, either for people like, you know, me who would come for a week and just see everything, or it's also for people who live in Sydney and you just kind of explore it bit by bit and they don't have to see it all at once. Did you always want to curate a Biennale? I actually never, it was, when, when I was asked, I was like, I'm really not a Biennale curator. Like I'm not, I don't, I feel I'm very much not 
I'm not so much looking for the hot spot. Like I'm not someone who thinks I need to find the next wave or the next. I'm much more interested in following people and working with artists. But then when I was, when the opportunity came, I was very excited. So, you know, when you suddenly think, oh, I actually really like this idea to do it. And especially because it is really nice to work in a different environment. It's, mm. it's, it's great to have different venues and um, also suddenly have the possibility to explore themes, different themes um, all together. And I think it is, it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of a richer narrative. That yeah, you can it's amazing. It's really, really. It's, it's a real joy do. to do it. I think it's it's. So and I've done Katarina was already when I was involved in Colombia. It was amazing. It was one of my nicest. But that was just the way how they've done things and how they integrated the city and and um, the way how they were enthusiastic about doing this very first Biennale of contemporary art. Um, but that was I was like doing it the national part, so it wasn't yeah. the big. You know, no, the focus wasn't on me. I could do little things, and then there was the big Biennale. But uh, yeah, no, it's a very, it's 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 a real joy to do it. And um, yeah, no, go go go. Anna, just the experience that the question of pitch. Um, the experience that the audience has or can have of the works of art, you know, in relation to your idea of an itinerary or the possibility of a lot of visitors, this this year's Venice Biennale, the Ockley and Weasels, oh, yeah. hmm. a hugely intelligent, very um, a, a Biennale of great political depth, I thought, and great humanism. Nevertheless, um, it it was very demanding in terms of time. And, and I, for one, and I spoke to a lot of other people who, who felt that they couldn't give it justice in, in four days or a week um, in terms of just the many durational works, um, which some of which would take an hour to look at and come to terms with and negotiate, so that you become a kind of tourist in the, in the Biennale. You just become... It's a, it's a series of... Souvenir experience, a taste of it, but you're not yeah. getting the full. So, is that a consideration for you in the in the planning of the show and in the? So, what I what I did a lot in the run of of doing it now by myself that I went to all the biennales which were up like Shanghai, Taipei, and and just looked at the because I think it's there's a lot of really interesting film and video work at the moment, and that's just a fact. But then if you go to the biennales, literally no one. I mean, if you go not during the opening where the professionals, some of them look. Um, really, no one really, they just walk through the rooms and it's so frustrating. So I decided, that was one thing I decided. There, that are, I was, exceptions. <laughs> there, there are exceptions, for example, you know, the Polish oh, pavilion in the Venice Biennale. Anybody who went in was just totally transfixed and stayed. There is, there is some sort of transformative, very compelling experiences. Um, it's and they are, yeah. You really have to find the few film works where you, where I felt this is where people are gonna stay. So I kind of really forced myself to not pick too many film works because it's for several. I mean, pragmatic. You can fill a big space with not so much money. I mean, that's just the. It's it's it, and that is a consideration at some point when you the budgets get always short at the end. 
Um, and then there's just a lot of really great artists who do um, wonderful uh, film work. But it's just for Biennales, I think, I do agree, even for the professionals, it's difficult and it doesn't do the work justice. So that was something I was very clear with myself that I really tried to reduce the video work. I mean, there's still lots, but there's just one work which is over an hour. And I just think this is what people hopefully spend. But that's, and that's it. So that was a very... Uh, important point yeah, kind of me. conscious decision in relation to what you're Also saying. because I do, if I curate an exhibition with so many different themes, I of course not expect that everybody sees it, but I, I would at least give the opportunity that you can without being totally um, blind. I mean, I think that's, that's with Okuis Biennale. The shame is that even professionals like us who are trained, you, one just shuts down at some point you just shut down it's no way that you let it in I think for general audience it's easier because hopefully they can just say well I look at five good works and then I go and I'm more and more starting to think well probably that makes more sense because you at least see you know you have the experience of of whatever ten fantastic works and that changes something instead of mm. trying to cover three hundred and so that invokes the idea of the um, the Biennale as a thesis, and the Biennale as a series of um, individual uh, discrete experiences of of artworks and uh, artists' works, both of which are defensible. Yeah, and for me, I just I do think that a Biennale is for general audience, and I don't think a general audience will really spend a huge amount of time to think about, oh, she has these embassies of thoughts and all these themes and how they all connected. I think they're just more like, I've seen a great work, there was a really good experience. And I think that's what, I still feel it's my obligation as a curator to show fantastic works. And of course, it's inspiring for artists to work in an interesting concept. And I think to get better works, you need an interesting conversation. And so do the, so the embassies, in a sense, help create that conversation, do you think? And also I mean, they for, kind of give a focus or... And also for myself, just, it's it's a huge... I mean, there has to be somehow a select... I mean, it's mm. otherwise you'll just say, I'll show... I mean, how do you select... You could also probably have the concept and say, I'll just show the last 20 good works I've seen. Mm. Or I see the... I, there has, I feel like there has if to we be had somehow... We had one Biennale that, where they did that. <laughs> as, yeah, there is... I think you have to come up with... And, and for me, the themes were just relevant because I felt... It is also thesis in that way, that I feel these themes are subject matters which I feel they're really relevant at the moment. Mm. For, uh, for do you think, um, do you have, I don't know if you can think about this in advance, but do you imagine your Biennale has a particular kind of legacy that might be different from other ones? I, I, I don't, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's hard to know. I, I do hope it has a legacy just by, I think, the best legacy for your Biennale, and that's not related, I think, to me. It's just that you have artists or people in a city who say, actually, that... Just remember, yeah. Yeah, you, rem you just say, well, this is when I've seen that artist's work for the first time and spoke to her, and mm. that was just really changed my whole approach. Or, you know, like how Abramovich was here what, in the 70s. I mean, it's just like that, that idea of, I think, enriching a place because that sh that's, I think, what, what a Biennale should be. That's why people spend money on it because mm. it, it should enrich the place there, but I guess also give other artists, I mean... And then the artists take a bit of that with them. 
to other, you know, yeah, and I think on it their does own journey post a lot it. of, I mean, I have, uh, I've just spoke to Mercer Butler uh, yesterday on Skype and they were just saying, look, already us being here once, it, it's a big turn in our work. Mm. And I think that's what, what you want, where you, where you say, well, this is, and that's not related to me, that's just coming to Australia and kind mm. of changing that. I think that would be something where I feel that's, that would be really fantastic. And it will help the Biennale to exist if that happens, I think. You know, if it's not about specific people, but just about an institution which makes sense mm. in the whole ecosystem of, of Australia. Yeah. Any other comments? Artists, the root of an artist's work or, or the artist's, um, the way that they will approach things in future. How's your time in Australia and the curation of the Biennale here, how's that, how do you think that will affect you going forward? I mean, it, for me, it, 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 it is, of course, a huge, um, I, I think it is a, it's a real privilege as a curator to be able to curate a Biennale because you, the knowledge I gain through that, just being able to, work with artists I maybe wouldn't have been able to work or do the research I do. I mean, that's that's tremendous. Living or being in Sydney, um, that's that's really hard to, to say because it's... Because I feel I'm probably going to realize it when I look back at that show and, and kind of see, oh, this is actually really just happened there. And that's very often in my... That I suddenly think, oh, that connects actually to all that back and that could only happen because... I was there and I could think about it. Um, I think it's like for an artist, if you have the opportunity to do a large scale work, you just learn and you just kind of benefit from from that. Um, yeah, I think I, I couldn't say what if Sydney has changed the, the way, because the working, how I, I think how I approached Sydney was something which came with me. So I think now the, it would be like when you look at Caroline Bragev and how she was using the salt water and her research trip now for the Istanbul Biennale, I think this is where you then realize, oh, that's what I learned there. And that's what now suddenly had a deep impact in my thinking and, and I develop. Because I think two years is really short. You know, if you're honest, what can you really develop? By the time you have to do it, you're not in it enough. So I think that that'd be after that where I suddenly realise, oh, that's um, influencing. Can I just make a comment? Um, that one of the, one of the um, effects or results or the things that are really celebrated about the um, Sydney Biennale, APT, um, such international events in Australia, is the opportunity for us artists from this country to see their work with and in juxtaposition to artists from all over the world and um, it's also very gratifying and important for artists to be able to relate to you as an ambassador if you like mm -hmm. from from the world coming here and getting to know the artists and perhaps taking their ideas and their work into the world and so it's a great integrating kind of moment yeah, I think it is. And I remember when I came here, my first question to the board was like, so is there a percentage of Australian artists? Because that's always the fear of a curator that you have to fulfill something. And they were saying, no, no, they, well, they actually said there is, but they never had to reinforce it because every artistic director would anyway select enough Australian artists. 
And so when I did my calculation, I was at some point shocked how many Australian artists they had selected. I was like, oh, this is actually much more than I would have thought. And I think that is what happens, that you, if you're not forced into something, you suddenly discover so many interesting um, aspects and, and, and kind of, you know, things where you say they're really special here and, and um, I haven't seen before in that way. I mean, I think that's an approach to curating too because of a, your own curiosity and desire to engage, you know, sets that up as a more likely mm. outcome because I don't think historically that's always been the uh. case, but, yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> Any other comments or questions? Um, I think we're nearly perfect timing, Stephanie. So I'd really like to thank you so much for your presentation and thanks for comments and questions. Um, also for our translators, thank you very much. And technicians and Jesse who helped organise today, thank you very much. And Natalie, um, please join me in thanking Stephanie.